Have you ever done an Irish car bomb before? I've barely done a shot. So, okay. So (laughs) you don't fill a whole glass. You just fill it like a partial way up of Guinness. And then they give you a shot of, um, what's that stuff? Bailey's. And you drop it. You have to like drop it and then chug it because it will curdle. So you're, you have to like chug it before it curdles. What? <laughs> I swear. Why would you do that? For fun, I guess. I don't. <laughs> it's, you know, it's March, St. Patty's Day, and all that shit, you know? So we drink curdled Baileys. <laughs> on uh, I chugged it fast enough that it did not curdle. Thank you. But that's literally the only way I can drink Guinness because it, like, it's not as strong and as Guinnessy. It kind of creates this like creamy situation. It's like, that's why I, that's the reason I can drink Guinness when I do them, because it doesn't taste like Guinness. Are you okay? (laughs) Marge? Is Maggie dead? Something fell. I don't know if it was a person or some an object but apparently i'm not gonna go check on it <laughs> we'll find out after this recording <laughs> oh my god did something just fall question mark question mark question mark this is probably the best intro to this podcast we've had yet <laughs> whatever i heard her she's alive at least okay oh my god Welcome to Hysterical History, where we sit down, talk about our favorite stories, and of course, laugh. Your hosts are Whitley Trussler and Emily Gummery. All right, let's get this show started. Today I'm going to tell you the story of Dr. Robert Liston, who's a Scottish surgeon. And we'll talk about, I don't want to give too much away too early, so we'll talk about why he's important as we go. So... He was born in 19. Nope. Not 19. That can't be right. Yeah. Let's, let's reset. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. I put (laughs) 1974 and I meant to put (laughs) 1794. So does she have dyslexia? Maybe. Did you write this at the bar while you were doing Irish car bombs? Shut up. Doing your notes. (laughs) Okay, so he's born October 28th, 1794 um, in Scotland. Um, I'm just going to like pass over his childhood. There wasn't much on his childhood. And from what there was, it was just like a normal one. He had like a mom, a dad, like just, you know, normal upbringing, went to school. Um, And then he did study medicine at the University of Edinburgh starting in 1808 and in 1816 when he was done with school and he did like this little internship thing with one of his uh, teaching assistants he went to London for a year just to study under Dr. John Barclay he literally did that for a year and then returned to Edinburgh to teach anatomy in 1818 
he became the house surgeon in the Royal Infirmary of Edinburgh under Dr. George Bell. But he was dismissed due to a disagreement <laughs> with said Dr. Bell. And in 1822, um, and that was in 1822. So he joined the Royal Infirmary in 1818. And then four years later in 1822, he was dismissed. He was not reinstated until 1827. I feel like that's probably because they were petty and he held a grudge. That's just my opinion. I'd do the same. Yes. So in 1828, after he was reinstated, he was promoted to operating surgeon. This is because, <clears throat> as Dr. Richard Gordon would go on to say, who's a, a surgeon and medical historian, Liston was the fastest knife in the West End. And the reason we put so much emphasis on his speed was because he had such speed in amputations. And I don't know if you know, but I'm sure our audience doesn't know that at this time, there was no anesthesia. So you had to be fast because if you weren't, um, it would get agonizing. <laughs> They this also, like, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, this is like just what I imagine in old timey war movies where they like dump a bottle of alcohol on somebody's leg and just hack it off really quick. That's like the 100% that, like, that's what this head. is. That's what this is. That's a great visual because that's 100% what is happening here. They also at this time had viewing galleries. So you could come just like watch surgeries at any point of the day. So. In the typical like surgical room, they had viewing galleries for spectators, three like doctors slash doctor assistants overall. Two of them were assistants who were holding you down, like the patient. Probably necessary. And one proceeded over the surgery. Liston, however, because everybody has just like built up his ego so much is a little cocky at some of some of these surgeries. And because you know how people get you get cocky and then things don't go as planned because you're like, nothing bad's going to happen. And then that's the one time the universe is like, bet. And how he was super cocky was because he would like walk in, look at the spectators and be like, okay, gentlemen, time me. <laughs> and he's well known for that. He would say that a lot of the, like, um, over, anytime he did surgeries, like you could probably 90% of the time, bet that's what he was going to say to you. If you were spectating that one time, very, <clears throat> very cocky. It is. It is. So one of his notable, I guess, surgeries slash surgeries that had an issue was he was doing an amputation on a patient's leg and 
cut his testicles off with the leg. Oh, no. Yeah. I bet that guy was probably more upset about that than the leg. I'm sure his wife was upset. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the other famous kerfuffles was uh, the operation where he was moving so fast that while he was in the middle of doing the amputation, he took off one of his surgical assistant's fingers as he cut through the leg. And while switching instruments, instruments, he slashed a spectator's coat. And not only did the patient die from infection, but so did the assistant. And the spectator was so horrified that he'd been stabbed that he died of shock. Oh, my God. Okay, the last one. Come on, guy. This is the only surgery in history that had a 300% mortality rate. (laughs) (laughs) So wait, the guy didn't even get stabbed. He was just so freaked out that he like died of shock because he thought. No, I think he did get stabbed. I think it went through his coat a little bit. Oh, I see. Um, and he was like, holy crap. Like I came here just to see some guy get his leg, you know, amputated. And now I'm a part of the show and then just literally died of shock. I'm just concerned as to why spectators were that close. (laughs) I wish I could tell you. I wish I could tell you. So when his career was winding down, he made medical history and, but at the same time, put himself in his beady hands, almost out of commission. So in 1846, a patient came in with right knee pain, and this had been going on for years. A bunch of doctors were doing treatments and they just like were not working. So the only answer left was for it to be amputated. Liston walks into surgery on the day, but did not instantly grab a knife like he normally did. He asked his audience to time him. And then pulled out a jar of ether. American dentists and doctors recently demonstrated the surgical importance of of ether as an anesthetic. And so he said, quote, we are going to try a Yankee dodge today, gentlemen, for making men insensible. The anesthesia was administered through a rubber tube into the patient's mouth. And within a few minutes, he was out. A handkerchief was placed over his face so he would stay out during the surgery because they weren't sure how long it would last. And not even 25 seconds later, the surgery was complete. That's how quick he was. The patient woke up within a few minutes of the completion (laughs) And it had worked so well that he constantly was asking when the operation was going to begin. So because they were so used to like being awake during them. So I'll just let you continue because a lot, usually your stories get worse and worse. So I'm expecting something bad to happen to this guy. Um, Maybe not, maybe not. Maybe it no, was this is, that's the end of that part of the story. He I'm, li- I'm he shook. Lived and is fine. 
I thought some like terrible thing with like they cut off the wrong leg or something. No, that's why I started with the terrible p- bits at the beginning, and then in my, <laughs> I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to do a little something a little different, different. You know, love this positivity. <laughs> so unfortunately, though, Liston himself never got to see anesthetics improve um, because you know ether is not a good anesthetic and he unfortunately died from an untimely death before it improved and before it became more common in medicine uh but something that <clears throat> not only his like speedy hands and his initial move to bring ether slash anesthetics to europe but he will also live on as an inventor because he created the Liston splint and bulldog locking forceps, which are actually still used today. And that's Robert Liston. What a legacy. Yeah. Just or like- not a leg, a C. And that's all, folks. (laughs) Sure is. Insert Porky Pig. That's all, folks. And then the podcast just ends. Yeah, probably should. Just end forever (laughs) after that joke. (laughs) We don't deserve to. I don't deserve to do this anymore. (laughs) No, you're fired. We're now taking applications. This story is probably something people see every day in their lives. Not probably it is. It's something they do everything like every day in their lives. And it's relatable to every single person in the USA, at least. Okay. So I guess I'll start with, uh, we were in Cincinnati yesterday and every time we're driving through another city, we're like, Hmm, Columbus really just doesn't feel like a city. Like it is a city, but it doesn't feel like other cities in terms of like downtown is dead on the weekend. Everybody lives out in the suburbs. They don't really come downtown unless it's for work. Um, Okay. Unless it's like the short north. Um, Right. And most people just live there. Exactly. Like they're, yeah. So I, I came up with this theory that maybe some cities feel more like cities because transportation shaped them so early on. So if you think about a city like Cincinnati who has access to the Ohio River, which has access to the Mississippi. Okay. Columbus has access to nothing. It's like just sitting here in the middle of Ohio. So I I know what you're all thinking at this point. What is so relatable to everybody that Whitley's going to talk about? It's roads. (laughs) talk about roads okay so and i want to call this story the road to ruin because Mm. this story is about how roads became the forefront of our infrastructure and actually made our infrastructure worse in the long run because we focus so heavily on roads you know how i love a story that's worser and worser I know. See, that's why I was waiting for that guy to hack off the wrong leg in the last episode, like not episode, last story. But did it didn't we, happen. 
Did we change personality traits this episode? We did. <laughs> um, so first I want to walk through just a quick, brief and basic transportation history for urban areas. Um, so the basic of the basic walking. Cities have always been set up for easy walkability, at least initially. Mm-hmm. And much like those of Europe where you can just walk down the street to the cafe from your little apartment and, you know, walk back up, you know, get your fresh bread every day or whatever. Um, And then in the 1830s, which we talked about on a prior episode, horses really started to come into play here. So we had what are known as horse omnibuses and they have a capacity of around 20 people. So it's basically like a bus, but it's just a carriage with like 20 people in it pulled by a few horses. So that was like a version of early public transportation was these horse omnibuses. I've seen those before. It's actually like a pretty cool idea to like move a large amount of people at once and like free up congestion, especially in a city like New York that was rapidly Mm -hmm. being populated. So then post-Civil War, we, we start to obviously, like around that time, start to see railroads popping up. And some entrepreneurs got the idea to adapt steam railroads for city transportation by making what's called an L or an elevated railroad. So basically, it was just their initial idea for this was just a steam engine. And instead of the railroad being on the ground, they gave it its own track elevated up in the air. So like if you go to New York now and there's like a street and then there's like a train track on top of that street, like above it, that's like an elevated track. So it's basically just a subway that's not underground, but it still has its own unique track line. Gotcha, gotcha. And then in 1889, the first electric streetcar in the US was introduced in Richmond, Virginia. So this rapidly displaced horse cars so that by 1902, 94% of street railway mileage in the United States was electrically powered and only 1% was horse powered. So it very quickly switched. And then in the 1890s, we start to see underground subways, which we're probably all very familiar with, at least from popular culture, especially stories about New York. Um, Mm -hmm. But the real Debbie Downer in this story is the automobiles introduced around this time. But still early on when they were introduced, it was very limited personal ownership. So not a lot of people had vehicles. So it wasn't a big deal. Like it was kind of a luxury thing that the wealthy the rich. had. Exactly. So it's like, whatever, cars are here. They're cool, whatever, novel, great. If you can get one, fun. If not, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Because there's right. other ways to get around the city. Right. You have a bike. Yeah. Exactly. And at first I thought you were asking if I have a bike. So just if everybody's wondering, I in fact have two bikes in our basement. So. (laughs) Everyone I'm sure has been wanting to write in to ask that question. Yeah. Well, now everybody can rest assured that I do indeed have not one bike, but two. Mm. So anywho. Jumping back into this very riveting story on transportation. In the 1920s, public transportation actually starts to decline. And that's because mass produced automobiles hit the market in around 1915. So there's this massive amount of automobiles. So like people can 
get them more affordably now. Gasoline is cheap and patronage for public transportation dropped from a peak of 17.2 billion people riding in 1926 to 11.3 billion in 1993. So oh. pretty large drop. Yeah, when just from automobiles. Taxed. Exactly, yeah. And then because automobiles were really starting to take the stage, they said, well, maybe we should stop putting money into efficient transportation that has its own unique line, like subways and trains. Mm -hmm. And they decided, let's, let's make buses instead. So, and the reason behind this was that buses can use the same streets provided free of charge. So you don't have to build anything extra for a bus. They just go on the street that's already there. So right. it's a lower cost than a streetcar. Right. However, in the 1940s, we see a short period of time where we there's a mass return to public transit, but that's just because of World War II. Um, less materials for cars and gasoline's more expensive. So everybody's like, screw this. We're walking or we're riding on something public. Um, much like we're probably all feeling right now, to be honest. Yeah. But then after the war, very quickly, public transit collapsed again. But on top of this, you have layered the rise of suburban housing built far away from the city center. So along with this comes with construction of new highways, which really isn't a thing at this point yet. We don't have the huge like four or five lane highways we have now at this right. point in time. Because cities started out, people were just walking around or like being pulled by a, a horse on this giant omnibus thing. So by 1960, only 8% of American workers took a bus or streetcar to work. So like it used to be everybody's using it. Now it's like less than 10% of the American population uses public transportation. So it just because shatters they are, it. Because they're back in, on driving or wait, what did you just because, say? Because so by 1960, only 8% of American workers took a bus or streetcar to work. So public transportation. So this was just outlining how the creation of suburbs like that, especially during the oh, baby oh, boom. Oh, oh. Yeah, like I'm suburbs. Now. Everybody has automobiles. People aren't taking public transportation. Gotcha. I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. Love it for you. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where I, I just wanted to go through when I was researching this today, there's a lot of factors that contributed to basically the gist of the story is I'm very annoyed that public transportation sucks in the US. It, it's terrible. Yeah. Like it's not we the could, only thing, but yeah. Well, yeah. But it's something that like every day we could all benefit from, but we don't. And I'll get to this in a second, like looking forward, how things will probably evolve yet again mm -hmm. in the world of transportation due to the pandemic and reurbanization that's happening very rapidly right now. Um so I just listed out a few contributing factors as to why living in a city is like not accessible and easy anymore, which is okay. very annoying. And again, this all comes from like, we were in Cincinnati and they had like the, the electric streetcars, they had buses, like they had, and at one point Cincinnati did start building a subway system, which you can, mm -hmm. it's some remnants of it are still down there. They started it, but it 
quickly. It was just bad timing because at the same time, public transportation was hitting its decline. But like, gotcha. how amazing would that have been? Like, Cincinnati could have been a huge hub for similar to New York, like for business and service and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But contributing factor number one. <laughs> The 1939 World's Fair in New York. Ah, uh, yes. So, which is very interesting when I think of World's Fair, I think like very old. I mean, this is still like old, but like it's still it's like less before than a century 1900. Ago. Yes. So, 1939 to 40 New York World's Fair was held in Queens in New York. And over 44 million people attended its exhibits over the course of two seasons. But the thing that was the most interesting about it is it was the first exposition to really focus on the future. So like the theme was future, like dawn of the new day, the world of tomorrow. It was the big theme. So typically in the past, which you probably know this gum because you've like read um, Devil in the White City. Well, yeah, you've read anything, <laughs> but that world's fair was very much focused on like what is what technology is coming up now and like what yep. cult like the cultural history of mm -hmm. these different places this world's fair was not like that it was very much forward-looking and it was of course like many things in the u.s today this one was fueled by corporate sponsorship so all the money <laughs> injected into this was pretty much corporate so obviously a lot of those private company interests are seeping their way into here. One of those being General Motors. And mm -mm -mm. they had one of the most iconic exhibits here called Futurama. And oh. basically it was an enormous scale model of the city of 1960. So this, they were like forecasting what it was gonna look like. Okay. And guess what it looked like? Um, what it looked like in the sixties, weirdly. Yes. So it, this kind of lays the groundwork. Oh, God, you're so smart. This lays the groundwork <laughs> of basically middle-class businessmen driving home to their wives in the 1960s out in the suburbs. And it's just this overwhelmingly suburban dream. So this gets planted in the minds of like 40, over 40 million people that see this. That was going to be my question. So did the 60s become the 60s because that's just the natural progression of technology, industrialization, just like everything that's going on? Or did the 60s become the 60s because they put this out in the 30s and they already had a plan of we're doing urbanization, we're getting all these people out of cities? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, was it forecasting or were they just being like, you don't know it, but here's the plan we have for everybody. <laughs> yeah, I think it goes back to that corporate sponsorship piece that I was mentioning. Mm -hmm. This is where you really start to see companies lobbying for what they want the future to look like. So this is in GM's best interest, mm -hmm. right? Because right. if everybody's out in the suburbs, we need more highways, to... we need mm -hmm. more roads for these automobiles. 
And they're going to sell more automobiles if people are moving further away from things. So GM only right. benefits by pushing this agenda and this vision. I'm not saying like GM completely like set up the suburban setup that we have now. Like I'm not saying that. I think there's a lot of different things that are feeding into this funnel, but it was just a very interesting piece of research that I found when I was looking into this. And well, it'd it be also, interesting to know like how life could have been had we not had such just like corporate like uh, overreach. Yeah. And I feel like I sound like somebody who's trying to make people fearful of new technology and that's not what I'm saying at all. I just <laughs> think that we need to think through it a little bit. Mm -hmm. But at this time, which I'm going to go into contributing factor number two, we also have rampant racism as we're like coming in. What? I know the 1900s is real bad. I had um, no idea. I know it's a news flash to everybody. This is an issue in America, if you didn't know, but we have all of this these things intersecting these ideas about how urban centers should be planned. And one of those big things that coincides with highways and suburbia is urban renewal, quote unquote, which mm -hmm. is like a fancy way to say, we wanna build new communities outside of the city center to allow white families to live in larger homes away from the crime and poverty of any inner city areas. Mm -hmm. So what happens at this point in time, which you can see across the US, even here in Columbus, there's examples of where they would construct huge four, five, six lane highways right through the middle of a thriving black or other non-white neighborhood. Yep. So they could connect the white people who moved out into suburbia to the city center where they work and it displaces all of these especially black individuals who need access to resources in these city centers and it just sets them back years because all of that wealth that general generational wealth that could have been happening in these neighborhoods immediately stops well, because why would we want them to have anything wealthy yeah exactly they're, and it becomes they're, they're always lesser than yeah, and they are here too. They're like, you know what? Look at these two problems we white politicians and businessmen have. We have one, wealth, like not wealthy, but like black individuals who are making a good community for themselves, like on the up and up, like mm -hmm. are making a better lives for themselves, but it makes white people uncomfortable. Well, and it doesn't play into their agenda of black individuals being you know, aggressive and they're out to get you. Like, just like the fear mongering that they mm -hmm. had played into for so many years. Right now. I mean, if, if black individuals and, you know, other, um, persons of color areas are, you know, finally getting to a place where they have opportunities for growth and wealth and education, what are you going to say about them now? Now you created this narrative that no one fits into. Mm -hmm. 
So now you have to recreate the narrative. Right. Which people still refuse to do. Like we still live with these past ideas of how we think a certain population of people should act and be Mm -hmm. and exist. And that's incorrect. But now we've got similar to these roads, these huge structural obstacles in place and policies that are forcing them to stay in that box. Right. So this obviously is not shocking that this happened. Like, I think everybody knows that a lot of black neighborhoods and other minority neighborhoods were destroyed by roadways. And even driving through Columbus, we have tons of highways that just loop through downtown. And just a few examples, we had really great thriving black neighborhoods in Columbus. So Hanford Village, King Lincoln, Bronzeville, like on the, all on the east side. Mm-hmm. Now I-70 and I-670 and I-71 cut through all of those neighborhoods right right in the middle of them. So again, that's business owners and political leaders saying, well, look, we have these two problems. Like A, without saying it, they're saying we don't like black people and like we want to take care of this quote unquote problem. Mm-hmm. And two, they benefit from having all these new roads connecting white people to downtown. Right. So it's like, oh, convenient, two birds, one stone situation for them. Yeah. Well, and it's crazy because they've created both issues. They created the problem of not accepting other people and creating the fear mongering. Therefore, Mm -hmm. now they're in a predicament where they look like idiots because people are not playing into that stereotype. And two, you're the one that has pushed white families to move out of city centers because of the fear mongering that is no longer there. Right. So it's like, you've created the problem, (laughs) both of them. Mm -hmm. And then they use government money to put these roads in place that destroy communities. So there's, there's just a lot of problems going on there. Um, This is why taxes, taxes are scams. A hundred percent. They know exactly what we all owe. They just don't tell us. Other countries just tell people what they own, they pay it and they move on. Not even that. Just like, I don't like, why do I have to pay taxes for projects like that? I don't want my money to go to that. Yeah. I want my money to go to those neighborhoods in order for them to do better and thrive and have better education. I don't want my money to go to a stupid, why do we need, why do we need three interstates there? Why? Have one and then have it branch off. Why do you need three? I, that's not where I want my tax money to go. So why should I have to pay for that? Well, they're still working on those highways to this day. They're still like right now there are barrels everywhere, right by my neighborhood because they're redoing the highway yet again, because it doesn't work. It's not a good highway, but anyways, we can move. I could complain about Columbus construction on highways all day, but I could just complain all day. (laughs) Well, yeah, same. Um, but that gives me brings me to contributing factor number three, which we kind of talked about already. So I'll just kind of brush over this one pretty quickly. That U.S. transportation policy essentialized the automobile. So highways become considered to be very efficient, which we now know they're not. Mm-hmm. They're just they just cause more disruption. But 
essentially what happens is all these wonderful streetcar networks that are like designed to move people quickly around cities, they're replaced by slow moving buses that join the traffic jams in American cities that are already happening. So we're just making it worse on ourselves. And then even in the suburbs, neighborhood planning starts to follow standards that emphasize cars. So suburban streets, and if you've been through like a city like mine, my street, there's like enough room for one car to go down in the middle when there's cars parked on both sides. And the yep. suburbs, that not that's not the case. You could have cars parked on both sides. And there are probably a lot of cases where you can still have two cars going down the street. Yep. So like suburban areas were designed to be focused on automobiles and to allow people to drive their cars. Because it's essential if you live there and you work far away, you need a car. Mm -hmm. So... That's why in the suburbs you'll see wide trees or wide streets with few trees and housing is pushed back from the street because they're really emphasizing cars being able to use the road, which is funny because oddly it causes people to drive faster and more radically, which makes it less safe, which is mm -hmm. an unintended effect. Um, when I was researching this, I read a quote and it was like, if you have to put slow down our kids are playing on your street, your street's not designed well because like your street should have obstacles in it to slow people down. Like right. they shouldn't be that big. So now I'm getting to the part where, which is something I question all the time, you know, is this the best setup? I obviously, if you couldn't tell my opinion on the subject is that it is not a good setup. And I think Columbus transportation personally is garbage. Um, we have buses and that's pretty much it. And they're like, not very reliable. Um, and just so we're all clear, they also do not pay attention to other traffic because I've almost got, I've almost died three times by a Coda bus mm -hmm. just for the fact yes. that they pull out in front of me and try to literally sideswipe me or T-bone me or run me over. There's not, yeah, there's not even specific, like if they had their own lane, that would be yes. different, but they don't. They just like have to integrate with traffic and it's a bus. It's slow, it's big, and it stops a lot and it's a pain in the ass. And they veer in and out of lanes like yes. they're driving their vehicle on their off time. Yes, it is atrocious, but- Sorry, just, I just needed everyone to understand that. <laughs> no, I think probably a lot of people who live in city areas probably have like understand the pain of, of bus traffic. Um, so I guess the interesting question now moving forward, and I don't have an answer for this, but the pandemic brings up this really good question of how is this gonna change transportation and transportation needs for the future? So less people obviously are commuting to work. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like a lot of people, especially if they have white collar jobs or, you know, probably have the option now to work from home in a lot of cases. Right. And the funny thing is that I, I feel like people are starting to realize what is missing from their neighborhood. So like in my neighborhood, you can't just walk to a store, grab eggs that you forgot to get. You know, you, you have to mm. get in your car and drive 10 minutes to go to the grocery store. Right. And it also brings up the question in my mind, like, is it worth owning and upkeeping a car when we don't leave our house anymore? 
which is like another huge question. Like, is that worth it? Is that efficient for anybody? And or if, for instance, like you and Maggie mm -hmm. each have a car, you're not going anywhere because you work from home. Mm -hmm. She does. Right. Would it make would it make more sense for you to just have one car? Yeah, we've actually talked about that. If her car like goes kaput, um, and I've told her this too, even though her car still works, it's it's like a 2008, mine's more fuel efficient and stuff. I'm like, you can just drive my car. Like if I need to go anywhere, like the only place I go to the gym and I can actually bike to the gym. It's not like that far. Right. Um, it would take like 20 minutes, but like I'm going to exercise anyway. So why not? Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very interesting conversation that people probably should have, especially if you live in an area like I do, or in a situation where you don't need to leave home a lot. Like, do we need this many vehicles? Right. And another interesting thing that I found was the 15 minute city concept. So this is kind of something that's being thought about is solution to this. A concept where all daily needs are within a 15 minute walk or bike trip, which in my opinion should be the case. Like you should mm -hmm. be able to get to your school or your grocery store, restaurants, whatever you need. And interestingly, that's actually like happening here in Columbus. So real estate is skyrocketing everywhere mm -hmm. downtown. I, I mean, like in general, real estate's getting more expensive, but we have all these huge like apartment complexes coming online downtown Columbus and they're emphasizing walkability and ease of access to things. So I think we're starting to see the trend where we're like, oh shit, we made a huge mistake putting like million, not millions, billions and trillions of dollars into roads. Yep. And we found out it's not efficient. And now it's definitely not as efficient because people, I don't remember the last time I hit a rush hour, to be honest. I like go to my allergy doctor like 8.30 in the morning, there's never traffic anymore. And I literally drive mm -hmm. through downtown. Yeah. Um, well, and like the upkeep isn't efficient. Mm -hmm. There's always potholes. Yes. They're always fixing them. And then within three or four months, they're back. Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, I don't want my tax money going to that. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't need to. Like I should be able to get on an efficient like electric car or whatever it is that's not a bus that has its own dedicated lane to quickly take a five minute ride to the grocery store. That should be reality for somebody who lives downtown like I do. Like I consider myself as someone who lives pretty much downtown. Mm -hmm. I'm like four, three, four minute drive away from it. Like I can see, I'm looking at downtown right now. I can see the city from here, like all the okay, buildings. Okay, we hear you. <laughs> um, I'm not saying I live in a nice neighborhood. I'm just saying I can, <laughs> I can see the skyscrapers. Everyone's um, like, I'm turning this off, Whitley. All she's doing is just like talking about how great her life is. No, I'm talking about how annoying it is come because there's not convenient transportation. I'm done with you and your privilege. Thank I know, you. Nice but day. talking about privilege, I live next door to a halfway house these people are just come getting out of prison they have to take hour hour and a half bus rides to get to their job mm -hmm. yeah that is insane and they have to walk like 10 minutes to get to the closest bus stop that's that should not be the case well and some people too like you know talking about these communities 
that, you know, these interstates kind of just diminished or cut off or whatever, you're forcing them into a situation also where now a lot of their money has to go to a car upkeep on that car we have to have insurance on our cars mm-hmm. um gas <laughs> it's just unrealistic I feel like for like you said we live in a city we should be able to go somewhere walk or bike or a five second car ride or something if you need to have more space to carry groceries or something like it shouldn't take a quarter of a tank of gas for you to go get groceries. Right. But some people that's reality mm-hmm. and they live in the city. Yes. Yeah. It's a 15 minute drive for me to go get groceries. Yeah. It's insane. I might as well live in the suburbs, but yeah, I guess that's, that's my story today. And I guess it was more of me just being frustrated with, Columbus was really the story, (laughs) but I felt like I needed to throw in some history of transportation, but I'm always very interested in how things shape the way that we live today. And a lot of these concepts that I walk through today, transportation especially is huge in shaping how we live in urban areas Mm -hmm. and it needs to change and honestly like even connecting big cities in the u.s needs to change because it is not efficient to get anywhere like thinking about driving last night at 10 or no it was 11 p.m we drove two hours to get back home which like we could have stayed in a hotel fine but like there's no reason there shouldn't be like a 30 minute train that connects the big cities in ohio for example right so i'll step off my soapbox now but i hope that like it gets people thinking about the future of transportation and like what we actually need versus what we individually believe we should have. Well, and I also too feel like um, we as a com- a community or culture I don't know if those are the right words I'm wanting to use um as citizens of the U.S. (laughs) um I I wish we would humble ourselves and realize that not everything we do and every decision we make is the right one or the best one And I think it's okay to take bits and pieces of like what other countries do that are working or is working. So like, for instance, my initial thought is like Sweden and Finland and how they have great, you know, paternity and maternity leave. Why can't we implement that here? You know, other countries, I'm sure, have better transportation situations. Implement that here. Like, those are the types of things that we should be taking from other countries. Like, those ideas and those those ways of life to better enhance ours as the people of this country. 
Yeah, I think there's a tendency, especially in the United States, our ideology is to look forward and for something new. And we don't often take the time to look back at what we could have because we don't even need to look at Europe or anything for transportation, for example. Like we had great transportation like before World War II. You can mm -hmm. look at like prior versions of your own past to find something that works better. So I think that is a good point though. American society is, in my opinion, very selfish, individualistic, which it's hard to change a culture. And like, I will, yeah, I think we can all admit that we we've seen it, we've been living it. It's hard yeah. to change other people's minds. Um, but yeah, I think this is all good thought provoking discussion and good reflection on how we live in the United States. And I like your idea about, we need to humble ourselves and, and look for ideas outside of our own borders. Mm -hmm. I mean, the only way that it's going to work is if we as human beings work together instead of just separating ourselves by country. Emily, slinging <laughs> the hot quotes again. <laughs> just make me queen of the world. It's fine. I'd elect you. Although I guess you don't elect a queen. You're born into it. But you were born a queen, so. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, keep going. <laughs> <laughs>